everybody. Welcome to Volley Game Room. Welcome. Uh, thank you for coming and drinking our drinks and uh, crashing the party. And welcome to everybody. What the fuck is up, <laughs> Austin, Texas? <laughs> Tom has the enthusiasm. So I'm Eric Newcomer. I run the newsletter Newcomer, named after myself. We are co-hosting the event. This is my uh, have a podcast called Dead Cat with Tom Dotan here. Hey, what you guys like that fucking wheel out there? You guys spin <laughs> that wheel? Woo! <laughs> um, I got a quick question to all the people that were spinning the wheel out there. Who got a free, who's got free drinks tonight? Who <laughs> wants free drinks? You got the wristband? Show me your wristbands if you got the wristband. Big winners, all I, right. I got another question for you guys out there. Who got a free subscription to Newcomer? <laughs> I feel like it's a one in two. Do somebody? Is there someone who got a free subscription or newcomer? No. <laughs> Congratulations! Come over here. I will email you the subscription later. Come up over here. Do you mind? You want to come on stage for a second? We got a real winner in the house here, and I want him to understand what he's in for. Hey, you want to grab a mic? Uh, yeah. If it's not, I'll use your mic. Is this live? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what sucked is that was next to the unlimited drinks. I know. Yeah. They, they yeah. set me up for so, failure by putting it next to the... I know, but I, I had it, and then everyone was cheering, and then it... Right over the right, right over the next. Bankruptcy. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, th th thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, okay, so just a quick question here. All right, so, thank oh, you. What, what's your name? Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Welcome. Are you from Texas? Uh, well, I live here now, but no, I'm not from Texas. Oh, are you one of those California guys that moved out to Texas? Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait. I'm from the better half of California, though, so San Jose, not L.A. Fuck L.A. I'm, I, I've lived in both places. I'm not taking a side. Uh, do you work in tech? I do. Had you heard of Newcomer, the uh, sub-stack that focuses on VC and other uh, uh, venture-related issues before this? Uh, Tell the is truth. There, Tell is the there truth. like a sniper here if I say no? <laughs> no, no. We didn't That's have why that we're marketing here. That right. is a marketing. Uh, uh, no, no, I have not. No. Okay. Well, we're going to check back in with you in six months with your free newcomer subscription. <laughs> and we're going to find out if it was worth any of your time. So thank yes, you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. We're going to have a Jack Conti, the Patreon CEO, up here in one second. So it will be uh, much more legit. Uh, I just. This event is being hosted by Volley, which is an audio voice chat. You should play audio voice game. They have a song quiz. I'm watching Max Child right now uh, judge my uh, marketing pitch for him, which has a recursive feedback loop, Max. Um, but uh, yeah, they have a Jeopardy game. They have a song quiz. You should play their uh, voice games on Alexa or whatever, Google. Google yeah. apps. You have. They got to deal with Jeopardy. They got to deal with Wheel of Fortune, which you probably saw out in the front. That was the original wheel from Wheel of Fortune, by the way. You guys were all spinning, so that's a big fucking deal. Um, all right, so we, uh, we got Jack Conti, like we said, coming up here later. Uh, before that, I feel like this is my first time at South by Southwest. Yeah, I, I came pre-pandemic sort of several times in the... Where, back when apps were still really trying to go viral at yeah. South by, but after, I think, apps had legitimately Well, that's what made this place that. a tech conference, was that people... There were breakout apps. Like, you could come here, you could, like, demo your app, like Volley, and then it would become the next big thing, and then it would say, like, oh, in the way that X broke out at South By, the next thing would break out. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Twitter, Twitter, Foursquare were the real apps that sort of did it right, right? Yeah, so there's Twitter, and then, like, it's a huge drop-off from there. 
uh, to, to the rest of the other apps that were South by Southwest apps. Well, Meerkat, for a second, I think people thought like right. that would break. Well, we'll out. go through that. We'll go through that. But uh, since we have a couple minutes here before we get Jack coming up on stage, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about South by Southwest as a as a tech, the history of tech at South by. Because, like Eric was saying, I think it was Twitter that made South by a name, like a place you want to break your app out. But I did a little bit of research. Uh, Eric and I are both journalists, so, you know. So we Google, Google old articles. You yeah. Know? We, we know how to read from... Uh... It's called research. Um, and, we, and we pulled up some of the old winners at South by Southwest. Um, and so I'm going to pull it up here. This is an article that came out. This was in Wired. And by the way, I don't want to call out any other journalists because we all have to file fucking stories from here. We're here because our companies paid us to be here. And the best we can do is file enough copies so that our editors don't ask us why they sent us out here. But I want to I read an article from 2008, which was two years after Twitter broke out here, and it was talking about the next breakout app at South By. So 2006 was, uh, was Twitter. I think 2007 was Twitter. And by the way, the Twitter breakout was not like, oh, we can conceive of the possibilities with this app, or we can conceive this as you know, the next wave and how democracy will be you know, well, that was, that was back the stage of Twitter where you would tweet, like, I'm drinking a coffee That right was the now. reason people fucking used South, uh, Twitter at South By was, like, I'm at, I'm at the, the conference. Right, the pre, pre-politics I'm, I'm hearing Michael Dell talk right now, and this is fucking, you know, crazy. That's what they used it for. It wasn't about, like, right. you know, forces are invading Kharkiv right now. Um, so anyway, so this is from, this is from uh, 2008. This is, from, uh, this is the, the breakout app two years after Twitter broke out. Last year, Twitter was the big winner at South by Southwest. In 2008, it's all about sked.org. Every year, one web service captures all the buzz of the two-week-long conference by proving itself to be an innovative, geek-friendly, and perhaps most importantly, insanely useful. This year, a simple calendaring service is the site most plugged in to South by Southwest zeitgeist. So that, so that was that was where things went. We, we have Twitter. a lot of people on sked.org still. Uh, yeah, hardcore users. We got in house here. The sked.org founders, <laughs> raise your hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, sorry, uh, I don't know yeah. what they're. You know what? Good, good try, guys. We're all we're all just trying here. I have no no shade for the sked.org guys. Uh, but quickly, with a couple minutes before we bring Jack on stage, I want to run down the other breakout apps that they had at uh, at South by. You want to do that? Uh, let me let me bring up an article. This is from Vox. This is written by our friend Kurt Wagner, by the way. Uh, no longer at Vox. You guys know Kurt <laughs> Wagner. <laughs> this is a Tech Insider uh, podcast. Yeah, it's real uh, insider shit. I see uh, we got Josh Constein in the crowd. You know. Yeah. We love, we love all journalists. All right, so Twitter, 2007, big deal. We like that. That worked out. 2009, Foursquare. Uh, I mean, that's basically an ad tech company right now, I think. That's right. basically what they do, yeah. right? They... they Utilize their location data and sell it to. Um, so things kind of fell off a bit from being the mayor of like you know Franklin's Barbecue. Uh, 2012 was Highlight. The app was Highlight. Big breakout app. You guys remember Highlight? <laughs> Do you really? Do you guys remember Highlight? <laughs> I don't remember it. It honestly. was about like uh, it was location based. So it was like you could find it if your friends were nearby. Oh, it was the founder of Clubhouse. Yeah, I mean. It, was he the meerkat guy too? Or? No, that's a different guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. There are uh, a lot of social apps. Meerkat, which several months after South by Southwest had to pivot to House Party, right, which is no longer a thing. Right. Um, and that's it. That's the end of the article. 
that is the um, that is the full extent of the breakout asked by South by Southwest. Uh, all right, let's get Jack up here. Jack right. Conti, the CEO of Patreon. Uh, also a musician. His company was recently valued at four billion dollars. Uh, he is an expert on the creator economy. Uh, Jack, thanks thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Psyched to be here. Yeah. Do you miss um, live audiences? You're a musician. So, and it's been obviously two years since we've had this. I mean, it's, where else can you get drunk and talk about <laughs> trust and safety and content policy and free speech? <laughs> right. Right. How, have you, I was asking you this on the way out, have you done many, have you performed at South by or what's your history uh, with South by Southwest? I have not. My wife, my wife has. Um, and uh, I've, you know, I've pr probably been to like two or three of these. So not, not a ton. Really? Yeah. What a, and by the way, the name of your band, uh, you've got a couple, right? You've got a couple of outfits. The band. one that people probably know the most is Pomplemousse? Pomplemousse and okay. Scary Pockets. Yep. Okay. But never performed here at South By? Nope. Never performed South By. We actually don't. Both bands are interesting. We own our masters. Okay. And so touring and live isn't like the primary income stream for the bands. So we kind of, you know, we, we like sell songs. We have memberships through Patreon. We like sell merch, other stuff like that. But we don't do a ton of live stuff. Really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the reason why? It just doesn't fit with the vibe, or you just would rather keep everything studio-based, or what's... We're completely independent. Okay. We, um, we, again, own our masters, so, like, our money comes from streaming and, uh, and other things where, you know, like, we, that we do with our fans. So I, I, I just want to make, we're good on sound, right? You all hear us great. Make sure to, let's keep the mics closed. Oh, man, friends are showing up. Sorry to cut you off. I just, no, 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 I just, it's fine. It's, it's fine. important that they hear us, you know. Um, <laughs> it's more that they hear you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, by the way, I mean, live performing is, so, so that's actually for the audience here that doesn't know what Patreon is. We should yeah. probably just give that rundown. Before we use that as our launching pad for the rest okay, of our great. conversation. So why don't you give the uh, the elevator for the now $4 billion company, Patreon? Sure, yeah. It's a membership platform that helps creators uh, run subscriptions and uh, in exchange for exclusive content and community with their fans. This is a way that a lot of creators have been kind of running businesses and building that, that diehard fan base and, and getting paid for it. Yeah. And what, like, podcasts are your number one, or what sort of, in terms of... People running real like membership businesses and generating mm -hmm. revenue for you guys. Like, what is what are sort of the greatest hits or in categories and then specific? It's a, it's a lot of video. It's a lot of podcasting. Um, there's a lot of visual artists and web comics, but it's pretty diversified. I mean, there's folks across all types of categories. At the end of the day, it's like, do you love your fans and do your fans love you back? Those are the creators that are crushing it and and you know doing a really good job. Right. Yeah. And I mean, let's go back to the origins of Patreon, because I think yeah. I, you and I kind of crossed paths along like 2014, which is the very early days for Patreon. Like yeah. you guys were just getting off the ground. So what was the inspiration for the app? Why did it need to exist as far as you were concerned? And what problem were you addressing? Yeah, I, I was solving a problem for myself. Um, right. I had just finished like three months of working on this music video that cost me 10 grand. Like I drained my savings account to do this video. Wow. I maxed out two credit cards. I built a replica of the name Falcon cockpit in my studio. Uh, I, I worked with this, like the video involved this animatronic head and this 3d printed hexapod robot. Like I went all out on this video. It's like real, like, okay, go era yes. of, of music videos. Yes. Right. Yes. It was like, I remember that a, a feat of heroics. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it, is and that video it, up on YouTube? Can we find it? It is up on YouTube. It has yeah. over 2 million views. Like, it was a thing that I knew was going to, like, reach my community. Like, people would be psyched about it and excited about it. 
And then I knew I'd upload this video and I'd get paid $150 in ad revenue. And I was like, right. fuck this. I cannot keep doing this. Right. Right. So you were going to get 2 million views on YouTube and then 10 just million. Like, you get no, ten? it has about, I think it has like two and a half. Two. Like oh, sorry. Yeah, right, right, right. Right. Yeah. There's always number inflation. But, but you then you're getting like two. hundreds of dollars in right. sort of. Yeah, I think that like over the lifetime of the video now, it's maybe like, maybe like 800 bucks or 900 bucks, something like that. Right. <laughs> and and what, insane. So what year was this? This was 2013. Okay. Yeah. So like the YouTuber creator economy was, you know, getting off the ground in a big way back then, right? Like YouTube was trying to kind of cultivate these groups of people they had the creator program. They were trying to make it happen. Yeah. But it, it clearly wasn't enough. Like, why didn't YouTube's own efforts give you the revenue and business that you thought you should have gotten? I think it's a matter of the business model. Um, on, on YouTube, if I'm a fan of a creator, and uh, suppose I'm a diehard fan of a creator. Suppose I have all the shirts. I go to all the shows. I watch every single video. I follow them on Instagram. I'm like a diehard fan of that creator. When I watch that creator's video, under the ad model, I'm essentially transferring one one thousandth of a CPM to that creator right. in value, which is maybe pennies or less. Even though I'm a dot, like I love this person and their video might change my life. Doesn't fucking matter. It's one one thousandth, you know, of, of, a, of a CPM. That business model sucks. Right. For individual creators. Yeah. It turns out it has some pretty big problems with society at large as well. Right. But for creators, it's Certainly not an efficient media. yeah, it's not an efficient like economic engine to fuel their creativity. Right. Yeah. And so when do you actually start how how soon after this YouTube video does Patreon exist in some form? So um, it's funny, I was working on the video uh, leading up to Patreon, and it was before I posted the video that I was like uh, had this dark realization. It's like, this is the best thing I've ever made in my life, and I'm going to be paid less than $200. I won't do that. And that's when I simultaneously started working on the idea for Patreon. I sketched out the idea on 14 pieces of printer paper. I sent it to my freshman year roommate in college. He looked at it, was super inspired, thought, we should do this. And I said, great, let's do it. Right. Um, and then he started basically engineering the first version of, of Patreon. He, he started you know, writing the He's, he's the like website. the CTO. His CTO, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and then we launched Patreon with that video. That was the video where really? I posted on YouTube. At the end of it, I put a little vlog. I said, everybody, trying this thing. I think it could help a lot of people. Like, you know, join me. How, and, how many members did you get? You remember? Yes. Within two weeks, uh, I was making six figures as an artist. Wow. Which, like, you Run know. Rate. I mean, yeah, like, I didn't change my music. Because it was a monthly my, subscription, right? It was right? a monthly it's subscription. Like you like yeah, this shit. Right. Exactly. Right. Do you know, have you tried to see if any of those people are still giving you their money, or did you cut it off, or they're still... So, I, uh, I have a day job now. <laughs> um, so, I don't post much on that account anymore. Actually, I haven't posted in, like, seven years on that account. Ironically, I built this thing to help me be a creator, and then I had to stop posting. But... I, I, Pomp Loose and Scary Pockets are very, very prolific, you know, so I am actually making like 100 music videos a year between those two bands, uh -huh. but just not for my solo stuff. I don't have a team around and that. And those are on Patreon. Like, those are people that can sign up for yeah. the shit. Those are, yeah, both bands have memberships and both bands are, you know, it's, it have active communities and are releasing weekly and actually daily. Both bands are releasing daily. Yeah. Did you know that you wanted to go down the, like, the like raising through venture capital route? Because theoretically, this is a business. You guys take, what is it, 10%? 
We have three tiers of rising, five, eight, and 12. Oh, five, eight, and 12. Yeah. So theoretically, from day one, you guys were producing revenue. Like, this was a real big boy business. Yeah, I mean, within a month, the company was profitable. Right. Um, because it was, it was making money, and Sam and I weren't taking salaries. And so, yeah. And, and then there came a point where we were getting so much inbound, so many emails. You know, we, we realized we needed to hire a team to kind of help with the operations of the business. And that's when we started, like, looking at options and trying to figure out, you know, do we need to raise money? Do we, you know, just hire people? Do we try and bootstrap it? And Yeah. Uh-huh. What, I mean, you, you really emphasize membership, right? What, what distinction are you drawing there? You know, I'm in sort of the newsletter business, which is, you know, related to media companies, and there's much more of, like, they say subscription. And, you know, there's this sense that it's very clearly tied to, like, a recurring product. I don't know. What, what do you see as sort of the membership subscription line? I think it's an emotional component that makes it different. A subscription is very transactional. Um, now, there can be subscriptions that you deeply care about, organizations that have missions that you really care about. You're voting with your dollars. You want to support them. But I think what distinguishes a membership is that it is deeply emotional. Um, I'm paying not just for exclusive content and community, but I'm, I'm paying because this is something that I want more of in the world. It's a beacon of my identity. It's like a, I'm a super fan of this thing. And I think the other, the other component of it that's different is it allows structured tiered benefits that a creator can offer to their fans, right? So a creator can have three or four tiers of membership, uh, whereas a subscription is kind of just one thing for the exclusive content uh, or, you know, the box in the mail or whatever it is, whereas a you know, membership is more holistic, more about the community, more about the emotion. You, you have tiers of newcomer, right? You've embraced that model as well, Well, you? I have monthly, annual, and then I have founding, which is just sort of... You have a lot of money, so why don't you me, give it to right, me? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Ooh, that's cool. What do you call that? Validating? Uh, no, sorry. I call it founding. It's, it's validating. It's, founding. it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. is. It is. It's always, I try to send somebody an email, be like, oh, thank you. You know, it is. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's always you. a surprise. It's like, oh, wow. That's okay. so That's funny. that personal touch. <laughs> It'd be validating so funny if you call it the validation <laughs> tier. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. I think that should be even more. Like, that's just funding your therapy at that right, point. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you're on your own. So. I mean, when you guys got going, yeah. there was sort of, like, there was, like, the, I feel like there's a lot of hype around like the Kickstarter, like crowdfunding thing. Right. And that's much Indiegogo. more shifted towards like the creator economy or the idea that these are this is actually people's jobs and less like one off. I mean, have you how have you actually seen a shift in like the mix of type the types of projects you're doing, or you feel like you're always on sort of that the creator economy side rather than this because I, I sorry to but to, I'll let you answer, but like I have a cousin who created like a comic book. And that, that was sort of like, you know, almost, I, he did it on Patreon, but it, it had sort of, to me, that sort of like Kickstarter feeling that it's like a one-off, I'm supporting him, it wasn't his main business. I don't know, how do you sort of, there, yeah. there are a lot of trends, there, you know, we hear less, I think, about crowdfunding relative to the creator economy now. Yeah, I think crowdfunding kind of had its day, um, and it works for some things, but at the end of the day, it's a very different thing than what we're doing. Um, you know, crowdfunding is like, I have this thing I want to do, but I can't do it until I get funding. Whereas membership is like, hey, I'm doing this thing. It's working. It's media. And this is now an economic engine for media. And it's a subscription engine and a community engine, like all these things. Um, Whereas, you know, something like Kickstarter is like, I have this idea for a project and I need funding for it. Um, And it's this one-off chunk and it allows me to do this other thing. It's just like a very different type of business model. Then, like, I'm a creator outputting regular stuff, and I'd like to be paid for that, and I'd like to build a business around that. 
that's a little bit more like something like the Guardian or like New York Times subscription business, um, and a little bit less like, you know, I need money to put on a play, and I have this idea for a play. What happened? Do you think to crowdfunding? I don't hear as much about it. You don't. I mean, for a time, like in, I used to cover media, and there was a real thought or argument on the part of these companies that this was going to supplant, you know, big media companies because why couldn't a creator? Why do they need to go to? Sony or Paramount or you know Disney to say give me money to make this thing I want to do versus the audience that I already have that might be excited about this idea. I mean, what what happened to that? And if you don't think it, you know, has merit anymore, why not? Yeah, I, it's such a good question. Um, I think there's actually not a ton of interest in most creators that I've talked to for crowdfunding. It feels a little bit like, please help me. Yeah. It feels a little bit like I can't do this unless I get funding. It's a little needy. Um, There's also I, no guarantee, really, that you're going to get it, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. I don't think it's a scam, but it's a real... I mean, it's an investment, essentially, which is not its not quite as clear-cut an investment. And I, I would assume like enough people did Kickstarters where they didn't pan out and stuff that there was a burnout from the funder where it's like, oh, the upfront model is dangerous where a Patreon or any sort of... Subscription is more tied to recurring output. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think the other thing about it is it's like a really heavy lift. Like, I know a lot of creators who did these campaigns, and then for three years afterwards, they were fulfilling physical <laughs> Right, you get all the orders. money up front, and then you're like, oh, now I'm committed to this thing forever. That And you assume a lot of risk in doing that. Like, like two, I know creators who, like, two years later, they were getting, like slips from German customs saying, like, your package didn't go through. Like, and then they're like, Fuck, I have this person in Germany. Right, you're something like a thing. D2C, like, oh. swag company. And, and you have to scale instantly with no infrastructure. It's, like, it's a very difficult problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to ask the question I think everyone out here has probably been dying for me to ask this whole time, which was, why didn't YouTube supplant Patreon as a model, right? I mean, what you guys... The, the, the risk right. that I, I... I think everybody is dying <laughs> no, for you to ask that question. They're yeah. dying I, I, for that I question. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to get to it. You guys were really impatient. But I asked it. So calm the fuck down. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, the question was like, you know, when you're a platform business, especially when it was YouTube related, people would have assumed that they were just going to build that functionality into YouTube itself yeah. and they were going to crush you guys. I think I wrote yeah. like 50 articles about that in 2014. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to do the mean answer because um, I've had a beer. And so yeah, that's yeah, right. what's and I'll, mean do, the, I'll do the mean answer. I mean, the mean answer is they listen to two types of feedback, lawsuits and competition. Um, and that's not exactly true. That's the mean answer. They actually have a really great product team. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, they, they do. It's just a matter of prioritization for them. And I understand why they didn't build this. Um, I didn't understand, you know, before I started a product company, you know? Now I, I actually do understand. I understand because the vast majority of their business comes from ads, and this was not a priority for them. It's not their mission. Their mission is not to make sure creators make a living. Like, that's not the mission of the company. They thought it was for a bit, right? I mean, I think back to like I don't 2012, know. the creator spaces, I mean, the, the 100 million investment in all the different channels. Yeah, but those were all means to an end. You know, those were, they were, and, and I don't mean to talk shit about YouTube. Like, it's a great company. I would not have a band or distribution or anything. Um, I, I guess I'm just offering that, like, all of those things were efforts to increase watch time, right? Like, the primary KPI for the company was watch time, is right. watch time. Right. 
that is what they're trying to do. Right. So like, look at the KPIs, and then you get a sense of like, how are they prioritizing and what matters? And if you want to know, ultimately, if you really want to know a company's priorities, just look at the allocation of R&D in the organization. Just look at where their engineers are, are working. And in YouTube's case, they're working on ads, they're working on watch time, they're working on things, personalization, recommendations, algorithms. That's what they're trying to do. And I get it. I just, and it makes sense. I think it's the right thing for them to do. It's their business. Um, but I think, uh, you know, uh, the problem still needs to be solved and somebody's got to solve it. I mean, you can look at Patreon from so many different lenses. One, one is like the sort of insider, like, yeah, YouTube versus Patreon versus Substack. Blah, blah, blah. But there's also just, and I've heard you talk about this before. I mean, zooming way out, we have these assumptions about like bands selling CDs or like the types of business models that fuel creatives. Like, I don't know. Do you like, do you think we take too much for granted? Like, this is the way like you run a band right now. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We was do. it hard to convince? All that shit is bullshit. It is bullshit. Like nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows that there's so many interesting, new, innovative business models around media right now. If you think about what's actually happened, like the last 20 years, art creation, global art creation has shifted from the real world into the digital world. Are you talking about NFTs? <laughs> I know, it makes me want to know okay. your NFT. Yeah, Let him finish this, then okay. we will, no, I'm we talking will about, ask you. I'm talking about the fact that like, we used to like, make no, movies and go to it almost theaters. entirely digitally, right? Like, yes. the, the, the live performance aspect, this excluded, is like, it's a minority of how we engage with our audience. Yes, and like, now our art is infinitely replicable and no longer scarce. And that's why you're seeing things like NFTs and why you're seeing all these other like, you know, technological innovations because everybody's trying to figure out how does art survive in the day and age of, of infinite replicability and infinite like uh, um, uh, creation, right? And so, reach, infinite reach. And reach, right? infinite yeah. reach and distribution. And, and the, the economics are still being figured out, right? That's why like people are excited about the creator economy is because it's, there's finally a movement that's like raising their hand and saying, no, ads are not good enough right. by themselves. That is not the answer. We need to figure this out as a species. I mean, do you worry, I mean, any new business model has, it could raise revenue a lot for the top creators. It could create more opportunity for a long tail. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly resentment from some podcasters, you know, like, oh, the best leftist comedy podcast gets like, a ton of Chapo Chop House or whatever, yeah. you know, and yeah. then all the other sort of the long tail. It's just much but harder. It's the same shit with Substack too, right? I mean, there are yeah, the people I mean, claiming that like Substack is a scam because you can look at Matt Iglesias. Right. There's inevitable sort of pay attention to the biggest. Being like, you know, well, I can't creators. build a newcomer like business. Do you? I, but I mean, do you think there's more of a? Do you think there is more of a long tail with a, this new model, or do you think it's? I don't think winter? so. I know so. I know so because I've seen the data. I've looked at Patreon's distribution of earnings by creator and um, creators who were previously making a few hundred bucks on YouTube under the old model are now literally making thousands of dollars, in some cases tens of thousands of dollars, and hiring executive teams and leasing office space and building studios. And um, the way I would describe it is the long tail is much longer and much taller. In other words, uh, the, the democratization efforts to empower and enrich creators um, have applied to now hundreds of millions of people globally, and it's working. Now, 
Will there be creators who haven't found content market fit yet or only have, you know, a thousand fans or whatever it is and can't quite figure out the economics? That will always be the case. And it's not that actually, like, I am very sympathetic to those creators. I was one of those creators for a very long time. I was trying to find fit and trying to find an audience and felt like I was speaking to a void and that fucking sucks. Right. It sucks. But um, I, it's hard for me to imagine a company that can solve that. Um, I don't know that that can be solved. I think there will always be creative people who want to find an audience and, and can't seem to do that. Do you feel like it is Patreon's responsibility in any way to help with distribution and discoverability? Because that's the hardest thing, right? It's like, I know what I'm doing is great. Yeah. I know an audience out there exists that wants to pay for it, but I don't know how to reach yeah. them. Yeah. Um, by the way, it's so funny, like, talking product strategy in this context, isn't it? It's, like, really funny. <laughs> but like, they want it. I can see them out there. They're like, how do we solve uh, we the discoverability? stuff in the front yeah. end. All right. Let's, let's talk product strategy. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> you asked me if it's Patreon's responsibility do you to, feel to work on discovery. Yeah. So here's how I'd frame it. Patreon set out to solve a very specific problem. The specific problem we were solving was there are creators who are getting millions of views creators who have incredible reach, but they're being undervalued by society. Society was looking at these creators and saying, eh, you're getting a million views, here's a couple hundred dollars. That's fucked up. Our responsibility is to fix that problem because no one else was fixing that seven, eight years ago. Now there's, turns out there's other companies that are trying to fix that as well. But our focus and our mission was to solve that problem. Um, here's where it gets interesting. Suppose we were to say, okay, we're actually not just going to solve that problem. We're going to try and help creators find audiences to begin with. That actually puts us in competition with YouTube. That puts us in competition with Facebook. That puts us in competition with Twitter. At the same time, I actually don't know that that's a war that we would win. Like, those businesses are solid businesses. They have moats, they have network effects that make it very difficult to break into those worlds. I think Patreon's best bet at solving this problem of creator payments is focusing very specifically on the problem of creator payments. And it's a slightly different problem than audience and reach. And so in an effort to like define the category and get into market and help creative people, we were very narrow and targeted with our focus on what problem we're solving. It's, it's super interesting, you know, having my own newsletter, Substack clearly has a, can get hit from either side, right? If they take 10% and they don't give me distribution, I'm sort of resentful yeah. that they're taking so much. Right. But on the flip side, we just saw they launched an app and now it's like, oh, you're trying to sort of move me into your walled garden a little bit. You know, Such they a, turned yeah. up. Smart but move. Is the, is the, app, is the yeah. app promising distribution at all? Like, do well, they... yeah, be, be, the app, you know, it's much easier to read other newsletters when you're in it. You know, there is sort of, and it's much more like we'll upsell you from one creator to the other. I mean, yeah. you see Substack is a competitor. I mean, you're seeing more sort of, we're going to sort of carve off part of your thing and try and, I don't, I don't know, is call-ins call too small, but like David Sackett said, you know, their podcast apps or, I don't know. What do, what do you think about sort of the... So it's the Market. transition, yeah, it's the transition of a company from essentially being like a SaaS company to being a marketplace company, right? It's like I'm an enablement tool 
for individual sellers to sell things to their audiences, which is like a Shopify. But like, look at what Shopify is doing with the Shop app, right? It's, they're like, well, now we have all these sellers and we have all these products. We may as well build a marketplace and build some demand gen into our engine for our own audiences, right? Like that's Shopify. That's what they're doing with the Shop app. And like Substack is essentially doing a very similar thing, which is like, look, our go-to-market, like the, our wedge into the market was solving this newsletter problem. But now we're going to build a marketplace company that's going to help creators find new audiences and it's going to have network effects for Substack. I mean, I, I don't know this. I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing that that's probably what it, what it is. And it helps them build a moat and it helps them build defensibility. And so, I mean, I understand the move. I think it's like a very smart move for the company. What about, what about, only, let me get the audience involved here. What about OnlyFans? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you We're think about? We're talking about porn now, everybody. Yeah. Now Any of you guys on OnlyFans? <laughs> you guys, you guys have your OnlyFans set up? Uh, you don't have to tell me. I, I already pay. Um, I mean, like, they, by the way, charge less than you guys do, right? Their, their fee is, I think, 5%? No, they charge way more. It's 20%. Oh, oh 20, sorry. Yeah. Man, I'm really off the beat. Uh, we'll edit that out. Uh, so OnlyFans <laughs> charges 20%, yeah. which is slightly more than you guys charge. Right. Mm. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Do they really charge 20%? Yeah, which is, you know, st strategically is interesting. Gosh, I thought they charged less. I thought it was like 5%. Yeah, I read that somewhere, but it was corrected. Yeah. Okay, um, interesting. So... At, you know, at, at that percentage level, you know, they're obviously going, not intentionally, they claim that they'll go after anyone, but, yeah. you know, 20%, they feel like that's worth it for their audiences, just because they're going after a group of people, largely, you know, sex workers, who you guys make a point of not allowing for on Patreon. Yeah. Um, gosh, I think I'm in, like, default empathy mode or something right now, uh, but I'm, I'm, like, trying to, like, understand why they do that. And I, I actually do understand why they do that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, th I think it's like, uh, look, these are, this is high risk content. It's expensive to process. The payment processing fees on that type of content are much more expensive. Um, now they have a great business with like awesome margins and they're growing and it's, that's awesome. Uh, but it doesn't like, I don't know that they could go much lower on that and still have a healthy business. And they can't raise venture capital, it seems like. Yes, so they've had They don't really have that. runway, so to speak. Yeah, and again, I don't know, like, I'm not in touch with them personally, so I, d I don't know any of these things. I'm just talking out of my ass. But, like, yeah. I think at the and, end of the day... The risk is why you don't allow... Why, why don't you allow that type yeah, of content? Yeah, so it, when we make decisions, like, we've never allowed porn from, from day one. Uh-huh. And it's, it's not a values decision. Like, we have no problem with pornography. In fact, I'm really grateful that OnlyFans exists as a company. Like, this is a category of underserved people that need help. And their industry fucking sucks. And their industry is unsafe. And it's abusive. Right. And they need something like this so that they can, like, shift power and control from these institutions toward these individual sex workers who need this. I'm, I'm so glad that OnlyFans exists. Now, it has problems, of course, but, like, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful that those problems will be solved and these people will be helped. Um, so why didn't we do that? And it's a really good question. We didn't do that because uh, two reasons. Not values-based reasons. We don't have problems with porn. It's that, um, at the end of the day, it's much higher processing fees. It affects the, like, uh, the the type of business that we can run and how much we have to charge for it. We want to keep our prices super low. We don't want to take a ton of money the from creative people. Or the credit card companies charge higher for 
products that yeah, are in that arena? So it's, it's at the end of the day, it's like category of processing, like what type of, like gambling, pornography, like there's a whole category. Yeah, I guess it's of, a risk, sure. Yes, there's a whole category of processing types that have like a lot of chargeback fees and a lot of, uh, a lot of risk associated with the content. And the payment processors have to pay higher fees themselves, and so we have to pay higher fees, and then it trickles down to the, to the creator. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is um, uh, we call it mission risk. It's like what we're going out to do is help podcasters and video creators and web comics and like all these creative people. And the internet has a history of like when you allow pornography on your website, it suddenly becomes a website for pornography. Right. And like it's not that I don't like, like I'm fine with that existing. It's just like, that's not the company I want to build. I don't want to build a porn company. I want to build a company that helps podcasters well, that was a tough and creators. Thing with OnlyFans, right? Because I was writing about them in a time where they were really trying to spread the message to the media that we're for a lot more than that. We're just like, in the same way you guys are a platform for creators. Yeah, but that's to get totally paid. aspirational. Right? That was that's never going to happen, right? They, they were not, never. Yeah. Beyonce name dropped it in the song. Like they, no. I mean, they, they, yeah, they yeah, tried. But look at the context in which it's name dropped. It's like, mm, I'm gonna start an OnlyFans. Yeah. It's like, se- like it's like sexy. Well, the, the analogy that they were using at the time, which was interesting and maybe not accurate, was like Snap, Snapchat. Yeah. Was you know originally for dick pics. So yes. That was like what people assumed its use case was. Yes. And then you know the argument that Evan and those guys were making is like, yes. well, no, it's not, and most people aren't using it for that. But I think they sort of saw that similar kind of transition, like the dick pic app becomes the multi-billion dollar right. messaging app in the way that OnlyFans, it's just a platform, right? right. Why, why couldn't it work? Right. Um, and in this particular case, I think, it, I don't want to call it a lost cause, but like past a certain threshold, you know, even when like safer work, quote unquote, safer work creators launch on OnlyFans, the messages that they get from all the consumers on the website who have been trained to solicit for pornography are sending them inbound messages saying like, show us your feet, like take uh-huh. off your shirt. And these creators are like, no, that's not why I'm doing this. Right. And it like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I do web right? comics. You don't want to see my feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so, but so that's why we made the decision that we made. And again, it's not, it's not that like our hearts don't go out to those people. And it's why I'm very grateful that OnlyFans exists. It's just not the mission of our company. I, I wanted to ask, the founders lever people for newcomer get to see your feet? No. No. Um, I wanted to ask sort of a... That's a higher tier. I mean, a recurring theme is sort of you're having empathy for other, like, product companies. <laughs> Obviously, you're, like, a CEO now. You're a CEO. You've been yeah. a CEO for a while. Yeah. You're a CEO of a $4 billion company. Yeah. I mean, you used to be, like, a musician, right? Or were you I a still am stock? a musician. Right. Yeah, you can't sorry, say that. You were, <laughs> Come oh, out with two music only? videos a week. All right, yeah. all right. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I'm curious, like, your own personal transformation yeah. or, like, doing the business yeah. thing. Like, were you sort of much more skeptical of business people back back when you were mo- mostly a musician or I, or did, were you always have sort of a I was, understanding I was um, and I and not only skeptical I was angry and and I still am I still am angry I think a lot of companies make decisions that make me angry um, and maybe the difference now is like I understand why the decision was made because I've seen how this works, and I've seen like things that, like I've, I've just seen it. It's like, oh, we have a product team; they focus on this or that, and that, yeah. Yeah, and and um, and so the transition has been one of uh, it's it's been a humbling transition. Like I, I, this shit is hard. 
Like, I have a lot of empathy for product managers at YouTube. Like, they're serving two billion people. Who do you not have empathy for? You've been incredibly empathetic this whole conversation. Putin. Where did you? Okay. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> no, that's not true. I, I mean, I do. do but but also, Putin? like, no? okay, okay. what is happening is so fucked up and evil and atrocious. And it makes me really angry, and I wouldn't describe my feelings as empathetic for that. Well, actually, I can, I can, I can tie this back in, because uh, there was actually a great article that came out the other day about when all these Western companies cut off support in, yep. in Russia, you had yep. you know, a huge number of creators on OnlyFans in Russia right. that had no ability to continue their business. I mean, right. they're obviously a victim, in a way, of policy on the part of Vladimir Putin. But what have you guys done anything in terms of your creators in Russia, do you guys feel the need to do anything there? Oh, yeah. what do you, if you've done anything, I mean, do you feel responsible for them in any way? So, I mean, yeah, we've, we, you know, the, there's been a, like a, a task force at Patreon that's been working on this for, you know, weeks and actually shout out to some Patreon teammates who are here who have been working on that task force. It's like a, a very difficult, very hard thing to be in the middle of and it's our first time as a company like experiencing a, a global event like this um you know one thing that we did is we we like waived fees for our ukrainian creators for the next three months just as an effort to like help and send more money to those creators and help them get through this not that how many creators in ukraine do you guys have it's thousands wow. thousands of 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 creators in ukraine and like including like you know um like independent journalism that are like reporting on the war and um and that's important. And so, uh, so yeah, there's a team that's working on. There's a team that's working on, you know, misinformation campaigns and trying to evaluate if anybody is, you know, spreading that on Patreon. And, did did and you cut changes. off Russian creators or? Uh, no. So actually, a lot of that is happening regardless of what we're doing, right? So like, a lot of the payment processing relationships and and you know, bank relationships are just failing now regardless of any decisions that Patreon is making because they're, you know, because of sanctions, because of banks pulling out, because of processors pulling out. And so, you know, last month we saw a number of, of those transactions fail and we're expecting even more this next month because, you know, even more companies have pulled but out. But do you guys have creators in Russia? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we have Had there been payment processing that was going through, I don't know if there still are, would you continue to offer service to them? Yes, we would. And we are. Um, I don't think individual creators should have to pay for the misdeeds of their authoritarian leader. I want to put that on creative people. They may, they may uh, disagree with the war. I don't want to punish them for their geographic location. Uh, and our team doesn't want to do that either. Like, we are a creator-first I, I mean, the pushback on that, and I'm very sympathetic to that yeah. idea, but the pushback would just be, you know, it's a Western world, like, foreign policy sort of agenda item to create as much trouble for Russia economically as possible. And that means, yeah, if anybody's in Russia, is going to have a hard time. Like, you just don't want to be part of that sort of, like, general crackdown. I mean, if there was a way we could punish Putin, <laughs> like, great. Right. But, like, this, the version of this podcast in Russia, like, Patreon... Ceasing to support that, this is, this podcast is you know. Yeah. I'm saying clearly that would be a very important podcast right, right now. And, but like, do you it's see the what only I'm voice like, of reason in Russia right now? Like, yet cats. Like I believe Patreon empowers 
the shift from companies and regimes to individuals. That is the like that is a core element of what we do. So so like that would send a terrible signal to the world and it would be the wrong choice for us to remove the livelihoods of creative people in the middle of like one of the most tumultuous global events. Again, I, I that's just we would we would never make that decision. And actually, I realize it may be unpopular, especially say, in a moment like this. Was that controversial inside your company? No, it wasn't. Because no. we are, it's such a creator-first culture. Now, I'll tell you, we did debate, like, you know, uh, suppose, like, RT had had, like, distribution or had a funding. You know, those are things that we would consider, right? Like, state-backed media propaganda uh, uh, campaigns. Of course, that, like, that's something that we have to be very careful about. But an individual creator who's making videos and, and making money, that's our mission. That's what we exist to do. And actually, um, I don't feel like being apologetic about that even. Like, I'm very proud that that is our stance. And I, I believe in my heart that it's the right stance for Patreon to take. Uh, shift shift to yeah. lighter topics yeah, again. Okay. The, I, though I, I, it's yeah. very, I'm glad we hit on that. Who's I'm ready for <laughs> geopolitical conflict? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We've been told by our listeners that every time our podcast turns to Ukraine, we, we go into bad territory. So. No, right. no, but uh, it's important to talk about. But um, NFTs, we sort of touched on them before. Yeah. And I mean, to some degree, it ties to an earlier... NFTs, in a way, are like sort of the crowdfunding right. thing. Or like, right. there's a lot of like projects that seem to get a lot of money early before they've delivered you know it's like the board apes are popular but a lot of if you talk to nft people yep. why are they so valuable they're like oh that's going to be entree into a great community and we're gonna have a lot of things down the road i don't know do you does do nfts enter to your calculus at all and i'm sure curious if you see the same parallel to like the crowdfunding days with with some of the crypto projects so t two thoughts on this first Anything that helps creative people make money is um, interesting to us, and we are excited about that because um, I want creative people to be compensated for their work. Like, what is happening globally right now is a labor problem. Like, creators are legitimate members of the workforce, and they're not being compensated for their contribution to society. That's unacceptable in my mind. Anything that addresses that, I'm a, I want to learn about, I want to follow, I want to understand. Um, and so, of course, we follow this, we, under, we try to understand, we try to learn about it, we want to be very curious about these sorts of things that are emerging for creators. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, with regard to NFTs, I'm, I am excited about use cases. I am excited about... Uh, um, value to creators regardless of the technology now I think there are some technologies that are exciting blockchain, NFTs, etc um, but we wouldn't do something for the sake of well this is an exciting technology, let's use it somehow, let's leverage it somehow that's not how we build things, we build things by thinking what is important for creative people, what is valuable for creative people um, how can we help creative people make money uh, and so it may actually be that like some of those things are things that we evaluate and think about over the coming years, but we start with the business use case for creative people and then we work backwards from there. And are, like, would we consider things like NFTs? I think 
I think actually right now we're so focused on membership as a category. Anything that isn't membership, we're not really working on. It's possible that something like NFTs or, or not even calling it NFTs, like scarcity, I think is an interesting concept in the day and age of, of uh, digital goods. But even a more interesting concept is the idea of access. And so what's interesting to us is like some people are using NFTs to say like, if you have this NFT, you get into my Discord. That's really interesting. It's like, it's not even about money at that point. It's about access. It's about uh, membership. Do you, have, do you have people working on that? Because, I mean, you could see the membership model. Well, get into my Discord. That's a big perk. That's a, that, that's that's a very a, big perk. That's a thing you guys do a lot of, but, right? There's but a that, lot of but creators. That's, that's what I mean by, like, benefits, right? That's less about the financing mechanism. It's more about I, the benefits. So say I want a Discord with only, like, 100 people. Yeah. Then I could sell. If it sells to somebody else. Right. I get like a cut of maybe the transaction, but it also means that the market in some way is going to solve. I mean, you're, you're then only going to get your hundred richest fans, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Is that so? Okay. So I think there's, I think there's like three pieces of, of value to NFTs right now. And I think there will be many more that emerge, but the three pieces of value, I think first is like, uh, access. People are using that as access. That is interesting. Um, the second is like monetization of digital assets. That is also interesting for like creative people. It helps them sell a thing. And then I think the third is, I know they're not technically securities, although maybe that changes under <laughs> Biden given the executive order. Um, but uh, it, is, it is in essence starting to behave like a security in that it is something that can grow in value over time. You are almost becoming an equity holder in an, in an asset I mean, you are becoming a holder of an asset that, that can grow in value. Um, and all of those use cases are interesting. They're not Patreon's focus. They're not things that we're building into our product, but they are. Do, do you have that, some person where, is, are you working on this? Or? So, so we, <laughs> sorry, I realize it probably sounds like I'm being very vague. I'm being vague because how because we yes. build things, <laughs> yeah. how we build things at the company is not starting with a technology. It's starting with use cases. So. So when we hire people and think about these sorts of problems, we're going to hire people and the charter will be give creators leverage and control. The charter of the team will be how do we, how do we give creators the ability to sell things to their fans? How do we give creators the ability to engage in digital commerce? How do we give creators the ability to own the relationship with their members? Now, the team may or may not employ NFT technology or blockchain technology as they're like building those things, but we don't start with... This is our blockchain team. Right. Okay, team, figure out how to use blockchain. Well, That's not how we the flips operate. Are, you know, we can be in tech world where they're like, why not an NFT? But there is, yeah. there are like gamers who Where's hate your Lyra project? crypto. They're like, why don't you start off a whole like, you know, arm of the company doing Lyra like Facebook did, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, that, so that's Is Facebook. That Lyra? Was it Lyra, right? Libra. Libra, fuck. Oh Libra, like, and then it became Novi. Yeah. And then it got shut yeah. down. But I'm just saying, there, yeah. there's definitely a set of people who would also be very angry. If Isn't you said Lira you were... the Italian currency? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Which would be a great NFT, by That's the That's like way. the opposite of, of Do you own any NFTs, by the way, personally? I don't. Really? I don't own NFTs, no. Yeah. Sorry, I got us off track with this. Well, I, yeah, I was, I, I was more of an observation. There, there, it's not like there's a total... There, there is like a very rabid crypto pro camp, but then, I mean, you have comic book artists and game developers, like... Those types of people have fans that might be very angry at Patreon if you were to sort of dip your toe in those waters. Um, yeah, there, there are. Yeah. And, and, um, and like, even, like, I did a podcast, I don't know, 12, probably like three months ago or so. And 
I just talked about NFTs. Like all I did was talk about NFTs, and I didn't even talk about. Probably drove up the value of NFTs by doing that. (laughs) I asked an investor about NFTs on the podcast. I didn't even talk about them. And it, you know, there's speculation and concern. Oh and wow! Anger. Glad I brought like, this. So I didn't even realize this. So you've you've gotten the heat. Yeah. Oh, already. We we were. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's need. yeah. We've only got a couple of minutes left, I think. Yeah. Um. So I want to get to maybe like a couple last topics before we can turn it to the audience. If anybody here has some questions too, but uh, I want to talk about the only thing that Eric and I actually care about, which is journalists. Oh, creators. Naturally, right. yeah, we waited till the end to talk about Let's journalism. Do it. We're like several weeks into this endless cycle about yeah. whether journalists are brands and whether journalists are creators. Now, you, I we're, know we're talking have, about Taylor Lorenz. Uh, you know, what an you can get her to question. engage with you on it's Twitter. It's a broader over topic. This. It's a broader topic. Uh, where whether, do you, wait, you said whether creator, whether journalists are brands or yeah. creators. This is a very small. You probably don't have to follow this, but Taylor Lorenz basically said I in didn't an name article. All oh, right, but. She said that journalists are brands, and then a bunch of old school sort of like White House, Maggie Habermans of the world, really like pushed back on it and was like, you know, because they just don't want to think of themselves as a brand because it sounds very like creator. I don't know. It, it's just such a like, it's a flashpoint word. Um, so that's that's sort of the fight that's happening sort of in on the journalism Twitter wars at the moment. But I think it relates very much to where you came from and the whole creator economy because it's this question of like, do we exist as employees as part of larger institutions do we work for them or can we work quasi independently of it that gives us more job security or, or leverage that if we want to go off on our own uh or or create some some kind of income that exists beyond just the brand of the new york times or the post or insider okay super interesting uh concept uh so a cu- couple thoughts on that um there, I, I hear kind of two two issues there. The first is like, can can journalists develop independent followings? And of course they Obvious, can. Right. Obviously, do journalists need to be a part of larger institutions and leverage the the reach from uh, those institutions' historical reach? No. Obviously, that is changing. Um, but the more interesting part of I think what you what you just said is like the distinguishing characteristics between this concept of a brand and the concept of a creator. Exactly. And what I would argue is that those are very fucking different things. Very different. A brand is consistent. It has brand values. It builds trust. It has decks of like its style and its voice and what it sounds like. And if it were a person, what kind of jeans would it wear? Like, that's what brands are. Brands are not human beings. They're not. This is great. I love this. Yeah, yeah like, I think they're just getting at it. Creators are fucking people. They're inconsistent. They're human. They're beautiful. They're frail. They're smart. They're stupid. They're strategic. They're impulsive. They're human beings. And I think what one problem that I think is a pretty big problem is we're all trying to behave like brands today. And brands are corporations. Like, we don't have to behave like brands. Yes. It's crazy to me how much that has infected normal conversation. I mean, I guess I'm attuned to it because I've written about advertising. It does not need to be a thing that regular people talk about. No. It's a thing you use to sell jeans. Yes. Yeah. And it also, frankly, it's ineffective. That was the word content, by the way. It's not yet. It's a terrible, content is not life. Right. You know? But but we are, it's, it's, it's ineffective. 
brands have lower trust than they've had in many, many years. Except for the people that like it. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean like the people that ascribe themselves to a specific brand. They I mean, trust I, it in, I, but in exclusion I would, I would, other But I would argue there are fewer people who do that now. Like really? if you look at consumer trust, it's been dropping for, for a long time. And, and then you have to ask, why are we all trying to behave like brands? if brands are losing trust and mass right now. Like well, I think I, it's about identity. I think people have chosen to identify with specific brands. identity is not brand, right? Like identity is personal, it's human. Well, you, you could draw a distinction between like authenticity and like intentionality or something. With intentionality, yes. being closer to a brand. And I don't know, I, I run a media company. They're, like some days I'm like depressed and I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to write. I don't always just like send that out as an email. I like think like oh what's my brand it's professional you Again, know it's that not should always be the founders tier. You're, you're, so i do feel like there's a like day. a school of the creator world that would say you should just be authentic well look at, at the end of the day it's up to a creator to decide what they want to do i think there is value to some creators building brands i'm not going to say every creator should just fucking be themselves no matter what like some people would be like i don't want to follow the person i want to follow this thing that is exciting about them that's like something that would be you know on the interest graph as opposed to like a you know a friends, um, but I would argue that like for me, my favorite artists, like my favorite artists, are the people who are unabashedly themselves. All of the good, all of the bad, all of the dark, all of the pessimism, and all of the optimism, all at once. When you watch a Prince music video, that fucking guy is just himself, no matter what. And I don't want him to behave like Walmart. I want him to be Prince. And like my favorite creators, I want them to be themselves. And I want them to feel human. And I want them to not feel trapped by their brand values. So like, I, I think it's a mistake for everybody to think, I need a personal brand. I need a creator brand. Like, just be yourself. But it's a uh, fine line. I think that's, that's a great end boy. I think okay, okay, fine. All right, thank you. Let's get a round of applause. Thank you very much, Jack, for coming. Thank you for all listening to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, that was uh, Dead Cat. You can check out our podcast. It's distributed on the like newcomer. Like and subscribe. We're creators. <laughs> yes. uh, I wouldn't say we're a brand after that speech. but uh, <laughs> I know. Now I'm like, uh, no, not a brand. Uh, but we don't monetize. But if no, we did, it's sorry. It's okay to be a brand. I think some people need brands because they're following the, the, the thing that the brand cares right. about. That's totally legit. We'll I have you on again to discuss this. I have a lot this, to this say about it. Okay, we're going to have VC yeah, Jeopardy in like time. basically 30 minutes. It's going to be fun. We're going to have buzzers. We're going to have VCs testing their knowledge about uh, startups and venture capital. Uh, so stick around. Thank Thanks. you, Jack. Thank Thanks, you, everybody. Bali. See you guys later. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.